It's time to talk some New York Mets baseball. Who will be the Mets' starting third baseman? How will the Mets use Brandon Nimmo? Which prospects may come up and make an impact this year? We'll talk with New York Mets play-by-play broadcaster Keith Rad about his story getting to the big leagues, sabermetrics, Mets, and more. Join us for a hometown New York Mets baseball pod coming up next on Beat the Shift. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Ship podcast, presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. We've got a special show today, but first, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, ATC Projections was named the number one most accurate projection system by Fantasy Pros now for the fifth time in a row. So thank you to the guys over there at Fantasy Pros and... Uh, Really excited to be number one. And an even bigger announcement, ATC is partnering with Rotowire. That's right, Rotowire. The ATC projections are now live on the site. You can get them with the player pages and more. So you can go on Rotowire for the ATC projections. And, of course, all our other sites, Fangraphs, Rotoballer, CBS Sportsline. ATC is up on everything. Well, anyways, we've got a fantastic show tonight. We are very honored to have the following guest, who's the current play-by-play radio broadcaster for the New York Mets. That's right, our hometown New York Mets. Started working with the ball club last year. Before that, he was the voice of our local Mets affiliate, the Brooklyn Cyclones, for five years before that. Grew up out here on Long Island, not too far where I live currently. Welcome to the Beat the Shift podcast, Keith Rad. How are you, Keith? Hello, gentlemen. Good to talk to you because talking to you guys, baseball is getting closer, which is what I need right now. Yeah, we're about to turn the page to February. Spring training not far behind, so we're really excited. And uh, you know, just a little bit of personal stuff about you. Uh, you know, can you just tell the audience? So, what was your career path that led you to calling games here in Flushing, Queens? Yeah, so you mentioned that you know last year, 2023, was my first year in the major leagues. So that was the culmination of uh, the classic minor league baseball broadcaster route, which is nine years um, cutting my teeth, doing whatever I could, getting as many games as I could, uh, getting as many honor reps as I could in several different cities for very low pay. So uh, <laughs> making it to the major leagues uh, last year was um, just, again, a culmination of hard work through – Different cities, uh, Dayton, Ohio, whereas I was there with the Cincinnati Reds affiliate. I was in Texas with the Frisco Rough Riders, the Texas Rangers affiliate. I learned what life was like in independent baseball with the Long Island Ducks. And then the Brooklyn Cyclones, which I actually got to spend many years there. That was really the lone place I spent a very long time. And I went from short season there to high A or advanced A. So I really saw basically every single minor league level except for AAA. Um, but again, it's, it's kind of the classic route of when you get in this business, there's so many different ways you get to quote unquote the top. Look at a guy like Howie Rose, who really didn't do play by play till he was about 40. Uh, and then he was more of a sports talk guy. And then Gary Cohen was kind of like like what I was, which was, you know, living life on the minor league buses, waiting for a shot, waiting for someone to like your tape. And uh, luckily I got that shot. And what's the transition like working in the minor league to working in the majors? And what would you say you got the most, what would you say your greatest experience was last year being your first year with the Mets? 
So first of all, when I'm talking to a minor league audience, I, I know I'm talking to the farm director, I'm talking to the parents of the players, and I'm talking to my mother. And then you go to the, the major leagues, <laughs> and I'm talking to the farm director, I'm talking to the players' families, and a couple uh, million uh, other people that are, that are listening in. So the audience definitely grows. And when you're doing this job in different places and for different sports, you certainly learn, okay, who is my audience? Am I doing a TV game? Am I doing a radio game? Am I doing a game for two teams in Virginia? Uh, what are the cultures like? What are the people like? Um, how can I speak their language and tell the proper story? So the first thing you have to do is learn, you know, what does big league coverage sound like? Uh, and growing up in New York, growing up a fan of, um, you know, major broadcasters and hearing how they did it, it was pretty, I guess, not, not easy, but I understood what they were trying to do, what Gary and Howie are trying to do, how to make a game sound the way it does. And I think that that in turn becomes the difference between the minors and the majors, which in the minors, uh, you know, what, what does the ballpark smell like? What are the hot dogs, you know, sizzling on the grill smell like, you know, how the pro how the top prospect do that day. Um, how does the game sound versus, you know, you're doing a New York Mets game. It's, you know, you're talking about news of the day, talk about injuries. You're talking about the league, um, you're making things sound huge because in New York and in baseball and Major League Baseball, everything sounds big. Um, so it's a little bit different, uh, but in a much, much better way. I certainly love my time in the minors. I, I definitely miss it a little bit, but I wouldn't trade it for anything right now being in the majors. And as a follow-up to that, what's it like working with the encyclopedia of the Mets, Howie Rose? <laughs> it's it's intimidating because uh, he knows everything, and it's, it's also you know amazing. Sometimes I'll just... I'll lean over to the right in my chair. I'll look left and I'll look at him and he'll be in the middle of a story and he'll name as he always does uh, some B-side Mets from you know, 1964 who pitched three innings and that was it. And he has a great story behind it. And I do what everybody else does, which is just sit back and listen and try to fill in where I can to keep, keep the story going. Um, but I, I really do have kind of a an envious position where I'm, I'm learning from him and I'm hearing him on a nightly basis. Uh, and I've heard the stories off the air too, that are, that are amazing. And he, he just went into the hall of fame this year because he basically, uh, he was born before the, the Mets were, and I was born in 1983. Most of our audience was born after the Mets were born, but how he has lived it all. He's seen it all. And the best part about it is that he tells it all over as many innings as he wants to do during the course of the year. Now, there's a lot to go that goes into the broadcast. There's uh, preparation. Wondering what kind of research do you do before ball games, maybe before each game or before each series, and what kind of research do you do prior to the season? Yeah, so prior to the season, I really harp on uh, the Mets. I mean, we're heading into spring training pretty soon, so I know the main players, um, the guys that I expect to be on the 26-man roster, maybe a couple depth guys, I'll do more biography stuff on those players. But once the season starts and you're in the day to day, uh, it really is for, for broadcasters. I'm, I know everything there is to know about the Mets and uh, that morning, Hey, we're playing the Philadelphia Phillies for the next three games that day. I will start to learn as much as I can about the Phillies or the Braves or whomever, whomever it may be. And that's just the way it is because you know, every three or four days you have to know so much about so many teams. It's so hard to keep up with everything all the time. We read as much as we can. We watch as much uh, quick pitch as we can at night to, to stay up with it. 
But the way I, I research for a series is I will, you know, I'm, I'm in love with fan graphs. I have been for a while, especially when they were doing some uh, minor league statistics that I would look into. I'll look at fan graphs. I'll look at kind of a team's breakdown. The roster resource is awesome. I will use that to kind of get a, a feel of what pitchers have been used, especially in the bullpen recently, uh, just to get an idea going into the series. And then Baseball Savant is also incredible. They have those game day matchups, which, you know, first day of a series are awesome. You can kind of see who's hot and who's not, who's having a big year and who's, who's not having a big year. Uh, just those little things help um, because, again, you, you need better ways than just kind of seeing your classic, you know, average on-base percentage slugging OPS numbers going into a series uh, because, again, you, you're diving in and you have to not make pretend that you, you know everything there is to know about them, but there have to be kind of shortcut ways to, to learn everything you can about a team. And I think those two assets are helpful. Yeah, and I definitely know the guy who runs Roster Resource, uh, Jason <laughs> Martinez. Yeah, uh, a nice colleague of mine on Fangraphs. Uh, really great stuff that he does. And, you know, this is the Fangraphs podcast, so we do have to talk a little bit about <laughs> analytics, right? Um, how do you incorporate analytics into your broadcast? Um, I would say, well, what do you think the value of analytics is in a broadcast? And what would you say is the difference between showing it on TV, where you can see some of the visual of the analytics, and discussing it on a radio broadcast? Yeah, this, this is this is the constant um, challenge that I face because I am a, a lover of sabermetrics. Most baseball fans are still learning it. On radio, honestly, guys, it's it's semi impossible to really do, you know, explain something justly, and especially now with the pitch clock, you have such so few time, uh, seconds between pitches to really get in a point at on TV. It's that's where you really should be able to kind of teach the game because you know, where, what I've learned, especially this year is I'm a big, I'm a big fan. When you're, I'm looking at starting pitchers for the night, I love FIP. I love XERA, strikeout rate, walk rate, those, those kind of things. And it's really hard to explain to an audience of, again, it's all about talking to who am I talking to? Who is my audience? Radio is a, uh, a medium that skews a little older than the probably the average fan that's watching on TV. And those fans don't really care about uh, FIP or XERA, even though to me that's, hey, that's really kind of how, what the story of this, this player or this season is for whomever. So it's difficult. I still have to use those to get ready properly for a game. Uh, but I find myself kind of emphasizing certain things and almost de-emphasizing or not even bringing up other things. <laughs> like, it's funny, uh, Howie and I, and Chris Majkowski, the immortal Chris Majkowski, who's been a longtime forever producer <laughs> of the Mets, as I'm sure you guys know that have sure. listened in, uh, they kind of chuckle at some of the things that I talk about and some of the things that I say, hey, you know, pitcher wins and losses, we, got, we know those don't matter anymore, guys, right? Uh, and RBIs are like kind of cool, but they don't really tell you the value of a player. They just kind of tell you the situation. And sometimes they look at me like I have seven heads, and that's okay. Uh, but little by little, if I take a, a little bite, um, I will throw in a ground ball rate for a pitcher. Um, offensively, you know, OPS is at least where we're at, where we're headed and where we are we're at with the audience, baseball audience. I'm sure you guys know OPS is not a perfect offensive statistic. WRC plus is probably my favorite. I know Wolba's basically the same thing. 
I've if if I was talking on the radio right now, I'd get a look from Howie, I'd get a look from Madge that kind of said, "Hey, <laughs> we've lo- we've lost our audience," and that's that's seriously how it is, and I have to respect and honor that because I'm talking to an everyday listener who may not care about that, even though I really do, because that's the way front offices put teams together and managers put lineups together. So it's it's a really difficult challenge for me. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you want to be able to convey the interesting and important points of sabermetrics, but you do have an audience to to use. And you know, the question, of course, is how to find exactly the right one. Like we we can use K minus BB percentage. Maybe that resonates. Stuff plus. Um, everyone everyone loves all the stuff on Savant, all the uh, Statcast stuff. That that of course uh, always uh, resonates as well. Um, hey. Uh, Thoughts on using a catchphrase? I know uh, Gary Cohen had his famous, uh, it's out of here. Wondering if uh, you had any thoughts about uh, doing your own catchphrase. And if you don't, I'd like to offer, when they hit a home run, raise the apple. (laughs) So I I love that. I love that. Now, coming up, um, I mean, I graduated college and went into the the minor leagues 2015. So it's about eight, nine years. I was always taught. Hey, everybody has a catchphrase. They're all taken. Uh, good luck. Like there's, there really aren't aren't any more catchphrases available to to you. So I I always learned, and maybe it's a fault because everybody wants to know a catchphrase or what's your home run call. That I was taught, and I grew up in the minor leagues, trying to paint the picture differently every single time. The challenge of using different words to describe, you know, how the ball leaves the yard. So, you know, I'll find myself saying it's gone to just to kind of punctuate it or I'll throw in an it's out of here. But usually it's, it's, it's dependent on the situation. And the reason that I kind of learned that was because, you know, there'll be minor league guys out there that, you know, they have a catchphrase and depending on if the scores, you know, that home run breaks a one, one tie in the ninth inning, or it's 10, nothing in the fifth, they've got to say that catchphrase. Uh, so I just kind of I try to make it as natural as possible, uh, for better or for worse. But who knows? Who knows? I find myself um, trying to find one here and there that that people uh, in different situations, uh, ninth inning, last chance, dance, those kind of things. I try to find you know these little moments to to uh, put some stuff together. But home run calls, it's just not uh, it's not in my DNA to 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 stick with one quite yet. Well, hopefully this year, Howie Rose will be able to say this phrase, put it in the books a lot more often. But speaking Mm -hmm. of the Mets this year, they have a new manager. Do you think that they'll have a new philosophy? Will there be a philosophy change in 2024, especially with the new GM as well? Yeah, so so you're talking about Carlos Mendoza, the the new manager, and the new president of baseball ops, David Stearns, yes, who, in my opinion, I was on SNY Baseball Night in New York the other night, and you know, for better or for worse, for Mets fans, I said that you know David Stearns is probably the most important acquisition in the offseason that the Mets have made. I, I'm extremely excited to see what kind of team he puts on the field because the way he has valued players in Milwaukee, uh, which is a smaller market where your resources only go so far, uh, they produce basically an average of you know 86, 87, almost 90 wins a year and a bunch of playoff appearances. And they did it. If you're asked 10 New Yorkers on the street, name five Milwaukee Brewers, they can't do it. So I'm really interested to see how he does that. I I know that the offseason has not been as star-studded as most Mets fans want. But I kind of want to see these guys do well because 
that, that to me means that you know whatever model Stearns is using is a good one. But the manager that he selected, he and the rest of the front office selected, Carlos Mendoza. What I've learned about managers, they they do so many things, uh, but they vibe is huge. I mean, the vibe in the clubhouse is it's all personality based. Buck has a vibe. Mendy, as they call him, will have a vibe as well. And that kind of depends on winning. Winning helps. Uh, but a manager creates a vibe. And the other thing that he does is he has to talk to the media twice a day, which is very, very difficult. Uh, some are better than others at it. But in New York, you have to be able to kind of bring it twice a day. And that's always the challenge. And when you're winning, it's great. When you're not winning, it's not so fun. So uh, I wish him the best. And he seems like a young, youthful, vibrant personality. And I think the Mets are looking to the future with young, youthful, vibrant players coming from their minor league system to help out this core. And I think that that's the idea of the, the marriage that Stearns and the Mets have in place. And speaking of David Stearns, he had a press conference earlier this year where they asked about Brandon Nimmo's role after the acquisition of Harrison Bader. He said, we will see in spring training. What does that mean for Brandon Nimmo? What do you think the plan is after he was just named the second best left, left fielder in baseball by MLB Network? What do you think he's going to do? Is he think Brandon Nimmo is actually going to lose playing time? <laughs> so I am super interested to see what happens with Nimmo because I, I think if you take the names off of the players, if the, you know you see those models all the time, would you rather pick player A and player B and you just see the numbers defensively? Harrison Bader is a better center fielder on paper than, than Brandon Nimmo. And that's kind of shocking because Brandon Nimmo is a very well-paid and awesome center fielder. He makes amazing defensive plays. But I think Stearns, what he proved in Milwaukee was he wants, you know, run prevention is a huge phrase he uses. So, okay, follow the, the, the little trail mix and see where you get. I think Harrison Bader will be the everyday center fielder. And I think Brandon Nimmo will be the everyday left fielder, which is kind of interesting because Nimmo is – the center fielder. But as soon as that was said, and MLB Network is naming best left fielders, I'm going, okay, well, I guess MLB Network is all in on Nimmo playing left field, even though that's not totally uh, set in stone yet. But um, I don't I don't think it's a bad thing. It doesn't mean Nimmo is any less of a baseball player. He's one of the top offensive players in baseball. He's certainly one of the best, if not the best, offensive player on the Mets, uh, outside of all of Pete Alonso's home runs, of course. But uh, I, I think it's just using the players that you have, putting them in, in great situations to help win. And I just, I sometimes think that, oh, he's moving to left field. He's, they don't like him as much. And I think that's the complete opposite. I think they're trying to maximize his value even more. So uh, let's talk third base for the Mets. Bunch of options we have. Brett Beatty, Mark Vientos, uh, Ronnie Mauricio on the shelf, so not him. Where do you see the Mets going for their starting third base? Who do you think is going to get the most playing time in the coming year? To be honest, I think the injury you talked about with Ronnie Mauricio is the biggest one because, you know, he came on late last year, and I think a lot of people were kind of saying out of the side of their mouth, you know, Mauricio, who's naturally a shortstop, played some second base. You put a basically a shortstop at third who can hit. That's awesome. Uh, and so Mauricio being injured is huge. It's huge for him. It's huge for the future of third base for the Mets because I personally think if Mauricio had gotten 100 games at third, he could probably solidify himself at that position. And, you know, Brett Beatty was given the keys last year, even though it was a little bit late, he didn't break with the team. He was given the keys, and it, it ate him up a little bit. His defense uh, was not there, and he knows that. 
Uh, so I, I know that this offseason he's probably working his tail off to, to get better at it. Uh, but once that defense started to eat him up, the offense took a dip and he wasn't hitting as near what they expect him to do. And that is can be New York in a uh, in a nutshell right there. If if you let things snowball and you it takes away from you playing your game and if things snowball and you can't handle it, that's not good. New Yorkers can see through that right away. And that's again the, the kind of the, the third difficulty of playing baseball. You have to hit, you have to play defense, and you have to do it in New York under that that scrutiny. Uh, I don't think Mark Vientos is going to be too much of an answer at third base. I think he's more of a backup first baseman to Pete Alonso. Uh, I think the Mets kind of know that, and that's where maybe you see, you know, Joey Wendell picking up some some games at third behind Beatty. They'll probably give Vientos 15, 20 games at third. But if I'm the Mets moving forward, I think Brett Beatty, this is not make or break, but we need to see some real improvement this year because with Lindor at short, Mauricio's back healthy in 2025. Now that might be something interesting to look at. Is maybe Mauricio is is the guy that can can settle there. That makes a lot of sense. You know, let's talk a little bit trumpets now. Uh, one thing we missed at the, going to the ballpark last year was the sound of the uh, that trumpets and uh, Edwin Diaz coming in. ATC projections have Edwin Diaz set to save 32 games this coming year with a 2.7 ERA and a 106 WHIP with a whopping 39% strikeout rate, one of the best in baseball. Question is, do you think that Edwin Diaz can jump right back into his elite form? My gosh, that's what the model says? That's that's incredible. And the model (laughs) basically, you know, it it regresses to the mean a little bit, right? I mean, Yes, that is his his regression (laughs) is that. Wow, 39% K rate. It was 50%. In, it uh, was 20, in 2022. Yes. It's crazy. Gosh, yeah. I, I listen. I missed that. My first, my first year in the major leagues. I'm sitting there excited watching the WBC. He goes down. I looked at my wife with my jaw dropped. You know, that was like everybody went. Oh my gosh. Um, and so having him back and having, you know, it's a lower body injury and certainly your entire body. Uh, the calculus is you're going to throw hard with every you know fiber of your being, not just your arm. You need your your legs and your power. But I wonder what a year off for the arm, just as far as recovery goes. I, I'm not going to say he's going to throw 105 miles an hour this year, but I'm I'm very excited to to have his energy back. And again, a lot of baseball is vibe and energy. And I know it's wins and losses and it's K rates and save numbers, but it's a feeling. I mean, last year the feeling of having him go down affected the rest of the bullpen, and it sounds like it shouldn't be that big of a deal. You know, okay, David Robertson's going to be the closer. But really, that affected a lot, especially when Mets starters couldn't get through the fourth or the fifth inning. So now that Edwin Diaz is back in his place as one of the elites, if not the elite right now in baseball, now you can actually use the bullpen this year, unlike you were using it last year, where you know Adam Adovino is now uh, back with the Mets. Brooks Raley's back again. Uh, Phil Bickford and Michael Tonkin and all these guys that now can pitch in situations where they're expected to. You know, it's it's a trickle-down theory. So if Edwin is back, he's the king. That's his place. Ninth inning belongs to the Mets. It's an eight-inning game. Uh, let's keep it that way. Put the guy in, in bubble wrap, and let's get him to uh, March 29th against the Brewers so we can keep him healthy and get him back out there. But I'm excited to hear my first trumpets. Well, you just mentioned a whole bunch of guys in the bullpen. Uh, who Going into 2024, who do you think is the most underrated player on the Mets right now? Oof, underrated player. Um 
talking about pitching, you're talking about position players, or you're talking about either. just most and underrated. Either, either, either hitter or pitcher coming into going into 2024. Hmm. This is this is underrated. So I, I would have to think in my mind, underrated. I'm looking at a lot of these guys on the starting rotation side that were given one year deals. Uh, does Severino get back to his Cy Young-esque ways? Is Sean Manaya's stuff that we saw at the end of last year, is that for real? Um, I, I think it's a lot of those one-year deal guys that are kind of uh, in prove-it mode because they're already underrated. They're already undervalued. We know what Alvarez is going to do. I don't think that's kind of a surprise to anybody. Obviously, Alonzo McNeil has to you know, perform normally. He underperformed last year. So that's probably my guy. I, that's, I never really thought about who that would be, but probably a, a Severino or a Sean Manaya, kind of a prove it. Can you can you stay at this for Severino? Get back to his old ways, and for Manaya too. You know, he was semi elite with his sweeper that he picked up last year. Picked up some velo. So those would probably be the, the those guys that I would clarify in that. I'm going to go with Francisco Alvarez, who uh, <laughs> had 25 homers last year. 25 homer catchers do not grow on trees. No. <laughs> um, incredible. And, you know, he has to handle a pitching staff, and I think that this year will be key for him in his development, uh, you know, uh, so that he can sort of maybe less pressure than last year where the Mets were trying to win very quickly. Uh, this could be a good year of growth for him in a number of ways. Uh, question for you. There are a number of free agents still remaining out there, and who do you think would be a good fit for the Mets? Would it be a Jordan Montgomery, who's really a, a starting pitcher who really puts a lot of innings, Mets need some innings in? Or could it be someone like J.D. Martinez, who might be a very good bat to stick at DH, and if the Mets are not going anywhere this year, get a nice haul at the trading deadline for yeah, that, that's an interesting uh, piece of the puzzle that I think if the Mets were to go in that direction, it would be it would be smart. I mean, you saw the Kansas City Royals do that last year with they signed a Raldis Chapman. Well, why would they do that to a one year deal? Well, they picked up Cole Reagans exactly. on the back end because of it um, and traded him to a contender. So I can see that for that move and that piece. That's you know, that's interesting. But to be honest with you, I don't think the Mets are going to do a whole lot in free agency. I think that uh, they've they've proven that with what. Um, what Billy Epler said when they moved Scherzer and Verlander at the deadline last year, and even though no one wanted to believe it, that's kind of the way they've they've approached free agency. But if they do go get somebody, I know the, the bullpen is really where you can kind of change a season. I would love a a different look. Uh, you know, they have the Mets right now have Brooks Raley, one lefty. Would they spend on Wandy Peralta, a lefty who's out there and a, and a free agent uh, who's you know, kind of proven that. He's been a, uh, a player of value, uh, but certainly somebody in the bullpen more so than a DH because I really don't know. I know I've heard this talking point for a while. Well, if you get a DH, they'll still find at-bats for guys like Vientos, and I don't know how that's possible. I think they really do want to look at the youth, give them, give them 100 games, give them 110 games, and say go, and... If they pass, they pass. If they fail, they fail. But they they at least saw what they had for a good chunk of time. I know Mets fans don't want to hear that because, you know, the Mets spent $445 million last year and are not going to be doing that in the offseason this year, even though they'll still have the highest payroll, <laughs> payroll in baseball. 
And speaking about looking at the youth, which prospects do you think are going to make an impact? Are we going to say are we going to see a second Acuna at City Field this year besides Ronald coming when he's with the Braves? Are we going to see Jet Williams this year who rocketed up the minor league system? Or are you going to see Drew Gilbert who also has shown off power in the minors? Or even bring up Mike Vassell, a pitcher. What do you think? Yeah, so I think immediately, uh, I think Mike Vassell makes an appearance probably before anybody else on that list just because that's the spot on the depth chart you look at position players, starters, or relievers that you have question marks. I mean, the starting rotation for the Mets this year is a lot of one-year deal question marks. We know what Senga can do. Certainly Quintana's excellent. But is Severino going to pitch to a 6 ERA? Is Adrian Hauser going to be able to handle it here? Is Sean Manaya? You know, the list goes on and on. So I think the youth of the Mets, the Mike Vassals, the Dominic Hamels, maybe the Christian Scots, they might take center stage this year, kind of like Beatty and Vientos and Alvarez did last year. But I do think the next wave after pitchers would be, you know, Drew Gilbert, I expected to start the year in AAA. Uh, again, if, if Nimmo is your left fielder and Bader is in center, you know, Gilbert provides great defensive glove and center, but maybe can hit better than Bader. That may be where uh, the Mets want to see, hey, do we have something here with Gilbert? Can he be our center fielder of the future? And then maybe Acuna. I mean, uh, you know, that name rings a bell for a lot of Mets fans. They love to have one on their own side that they can see. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be the most productive baseball player in the National League for the last few years, but just as long as he's up there and he can provide something, I think that's a lot of excitement for Mets fans. But that's that's the way I kind of see this rocking in 24. Well, I'm very excited about the Mets' future, so uh, we'll have to uh, stay <laughs> tuned and hopefully uh, hear the trumpets more in safe situations at the field. I want to end up with uh, just a little bit more personal stuff about you, and uh, you know, we have this to a lot of guests. Who, who's been the biggest influence so far for you in your career? Yeah, so that that question, I mean, I, like I mentioned, the nine years in the minor leagues and, and kind of grinding it out. Um, there was a, a, a guy by the name of Mark Fratto who uh, currently is the, the public address announcer, actually, for the Washington Wizards and the Washington Commanders, uh, PA address announcer for, the, uh, for Army football, too. And that, that sounds a little strange, but he's a former SID at St. John's who started his own uh, production company producing, producing broadcasts for, for sports, collegiately, professionally. And he was the PA announcer at the Cyclones as well. And, you know, we connected and, and he kind of brought me along to learn the tricks of the trade, the business, the working on the audio side as, a, as an A1 uh, stage manager, TOC, and then eventually gave me my crack to do a couple games for uh, the Westchester Knicks in the NBA G League and a couple other college assignments and really kind of spoke on my behalf to, to get me places in this business. So, you know, you, you need people like that. Um, I mean, now that I'm up in the major leagues, you know, Howie Rose has been an incredible resource, but it's really the, the people, the grinders, the people that kind of lead by example, like Mark Fratto, that um, pushed me to, to, to do just as much hard work as he does. And one final question. What's been your favorite moment thus far as a professional broadcaster? Uh, opening day this year, uh, I should say this year, 2023 was, uh, was pretty incredible, especially the one, the home opener at, at City Field. I remember, uh, Wayne Randazzo, whose position I filled once he went to the Angels, you know, I was kind of breaking, breaking down, um, hey, what do I expect? And, uh, 
he said something to me that it, it hit. He said, you know, city, you know, opening day at, at City Field, the home opener is going to be like the greatest day of your life. And to be honest, that's exactly what it was. Um, I'd done some spring training games. Obviously, we had started on the road um, in Miami and Milwaukee. But when, once I got to City Field and felt the energy and the vibe of New York, uh, it was emotional because when you're riding buses in the minor leagues for a long time, you never think you'll get there. I remember, you know, I, my wife and I would talk, hey, I'm going to we'll try to do this. I'm 40 years old and see where we're at and, you know, reevaluate, try a different career. And, you know, to get there at 29 was uh, an incredible amount of just hard work and hope and luck and perseverance and networking. And, um, you know, that, that 2023 opening day was like, hey, you know, you made it. Now uh, don't mess it up. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really great to spend time with the voice of the New York Mets and get to know you a little bit about uh, a little, little bit about you and to uh, to talk some Mets and some baseball. So thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. Good to hear from you guys. Good to talk to you guys. All right. Once again, Keith Rad, the New York Mets play-by-play announcer. We'll see you next time on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.